Welcome to Cyber Synapse season four. And today I'm starting with a fabulous subject with a lady called Michelle Ching, who I met through um, the realms of social media. And I actually happened upon um, an Instagram live that uh, Michelle was doing with somebody else I've interviewed before, Justin Sincere. And the conversation was pretty much, Justin had decided to do a ask me anything and then changed it to a teach me anything. And up to pop Michelle to talk about um, the endocannabinoid system. And there's a whole heap of interest around uh, the endocannabinoid system. And most of the, the people who are listening right now, Michelle, will be pretty au fait with the words CBD and cannabis, but not quite understand where that comes from. So rather than me doing, as, as we discussed off air, me doing the big long introduction, um, what I basically did was message Michelle and said, I would love to talk to you about this because I think in the world of trauma and the world that I kind of inhabit with psychotherapy and so on, this is a really popular question, particularly in functional health. And my clients don't always know whether they can ask this question or not. So I'm kind of here to pick the brains of Michelle um, and to go into the products that you sell and you know what they are why you came to them why you do what you do etc etc so i'm just going to hand the floor to you for a minute michelle thank you so much um i am first of all just so grateful that you reached out and so inspired that the information that justin and i were chatting about just casually connected with you because i've had this hunch for a while now that um we need to find more intersectionality between uh trauma-informed research trauma-informed psychotherapy and the endocannabinoid, endocannabinoid system. And actually the, the new term now is endocannabinoid ohm, kind of like microbiome. Like yes. it's really, when you were thinking about the endocannabinoid system, because it actually occurs on the mitochondrial level of every cell in your body, we're thinking about it now more of like a ohm type of a uh, infrastructure within, within your body. But let me back into this. So really what kind of happened to me, cause I know you said you'll, you know, we talked about me introducing myself. So let me just kind of back up completely and give your uh, audience a little bit of context on me, my story, how I found my way in this space. So I uh, grew up definitely in the Western medical context, um, born and raised in Hawaii, actually, uh, <laughs> but find myself in Los Angeles, California now. Um, but I grew up definitely more in the Western medical context, definitely taught that um, your brain on cannabis is, uh, there was that commercial in the US that showed the fried egg and the frying pan. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was absolutely raised <laughs> in that kind of a context and went through most of my life um, that way. But when I hit around uh, the age of 24, I would say maybe 24 through 28, I started having all of these strange health complications that I had never really um, encountered in my life. And I started seeing the Western medical doctors, right? Uh -huh. So the first thing I started to notice the most was just um, like a dairy intolerance, a dairy intolerance that I never had. So then I just assumed, oh, something's changed with age and that's totally normal. So, you know, whatever, I'll just switch to almond milk or soy milk or whatever, right? Because yeah. at the time, like soy milk hadn't come out or soy wasn't, you know, bad for you yet, right? So then that was kind of the beginning of it. And then fast forward to when I hit 28 and these, you know, the dairy intolerance had kind of expanded to a gluten sensitivity that kind of also expanded to like a weird, um, 
you know, I would say four to six times a year going into the ER because I can't stop throwing up. And it was like, what is actually happening? And I wasn't actually having food poisoning, you know, I was having food poisoning symptoms. Um, I, I had lived most of my teenage years, like luckily enough to not encounter any skin issues. And all of a sudden I had all these skin issues. And I was just like, what is even happening here? I went down the Google rabbit hole. So Dr. Google, you know, thought, figured I'd go to Dr. Google because the regular actual, you know, doctors that I was seeing were running tests on me and nothing was out of balance. I didn't have a thyroid problem. I didn't have, there was nothing that the Western medical framework was really like helping me with. So yeah, that's yeah. how I found my way to more holistic naturopaths um, types of resources. And I, and what I found was when I would do some of what would be considered a little bit more of like a woo-woo uh, test, right? So muscle testing or um, things that I found in this like homeopathic world, I found that it actually was driving my healing outcome. And then that actually, yeah. this whole health journey started to intersect with something really interesting going on on a personal level with my, um, I guess, relationship to my career. Uh, and it was interesting. So for the first 10 years of my career, I worked in advertising. Uh, I was so fulfilled. I felt like we were changing the landscape of advertising by incorporating, you know, digital media. And I just felt like so um, lucky to have found this career path because when I had gotten into it in 2006, no one really knew what digital media was. <laughs> I felt like I was an innovator, right? And, um, all of a sudden, I guess I, it wasn't overnight, but over time, around year 10 in my career, I kind of got to this place where I was just feeling completely disconnected, um, just completely unfulfilled by something that at one point I felt like, you know, was so fulfilling. And so that new disconnection was really tough for me to experience and really tough for me to navigate. And I didn't have any experience mm -hmm. with therapy, mm -hmm. mental health. I didn't even know what emotional well-being as a term meant. That wasn't necessarily something that we spoke about in our household. So, you know, here again, I go down this learning rabbit hole um, on the mental health, emotional side of things. I find my way to this incredible um, coach who his name is Mastin Kip, and uh -huh. he has a trauma-informed entrepreneurship course. Um, and he's changed yeah. the name of it a few different times, but he basically teaches his students how to better understand purpose, fulfillment, mm -hmm. um, being connected to your life, to your work and things of that nature. And the way he teaches about it is using some of the core principles um, around attachment theory, yep. polyvagal theory. Yep. somatic experiencing, internal <clears throat> family systems. And so this is how I find my way all the way to Trauma-Informed Institute, um, you know, all these other different things that you, Kath, are such a, yeah. an expert on, right? So now you've got sort of my personal health journey, my personal professional journey sort of meeting at this intersection point of, okay, like what, what am I going to do with all this newfound like epiphany uh, and aha moments left and right. And so through actually my work with Mastin, I realized that one of my core beliefs, which shouldn't be a big disruptive belief, but you know, for um, our Western medical framework, it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hit on this core belief that healing and joy should be a human right. This is where I feel like I was kind of called to create this company to create this business and one of our that's kind of our biggest mission is to really 
teach people how to make healing enjoy your human, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we do that through raised consciousness. And the way I think about raised consciousness is from a trauma-informed context. So I want to make sure that everyone is clear that I put out the disclaimer, I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm not a medical doctor, but through raised consciousness, natural yeah. wellness innovation, and that's what we're here to talk about today, right? Innovating yep, yep. around endocannabinoid system science and things of that nature. Um, and then environmental sustainability. And again, all of these things are even though they're the oldest systems, right? So they actually are the most traditional systems from a science perspective, from a research perspective, they're still in this early days. So anyway, that kind of is my very long intro of what brings me up to now. So now we have a company, I'm a co-founder in this company and it's called Wonderful with two L's actually, because the double entendre is intentional. So it, the products that we create are actually wonderful. It's a CBD wellness product line. Um, and we also think that CBD and cannabis medicine in general is full of wonder. So the idea that science continually follows, uh, studies the infinite nature of wisdom, uh, the infinite wisdom of nature. Yeah. Is kind of the double entendre there with a the wonderful two L's. And so this is um, sort of my answer, my service answer to this bigger calling around um, making healing uh, enjoy a basic human right. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking that I don't actually know whether many, many of my listeners have heard of Masticate. I know possibly the, the US listeners, so I have got a, a cohort that do listen from the US. I think they might know who uh, Mastin Kip is. Um, but really, he's not on the, if you like, the trauma circuit because the psychotherapists tend to look towards the Bessel van der Kolk's, the Stephen Porges, et cetera, et cetera. And Mastin Kip has his very own way of, doing things and they are pretty much based in slightly more coaching um, frameworks. He is more direct than a lot of the, the trauma therapists, but, and I think he has, he's now got a trademark around it because it's a uh, trauma informed coaching or something like that. So, um, but, but Mastin Kip is, um, I think the conversation that we're going to have is um, many of those trauma people aren't, don't seem to be really looking at these uh, plant medicines. They don't seem to be looking towards these these systems of um, those drugs, which, you know, this is what they are. They are drugs, um, but we will get into it in a minute that we're not talking about going and getting off your face without a licensed practitioner or without um, some form of clinical surrounding or some knowledge behind what you're about to do. And this is, this is I think, where we're at in the world at the moment because there's lots and lots of programmes that we were talking about this earlier earlier and in our last conversation that there's so many programs you know pushing the the big plant medicine so you need to go and take ayahuasca or you know um you, you need to go to somewhere for a, a week's retreat and go through a whole healing journey and actually this healing system that we're probably going to talk about is is a lot more it's a lot more daily. It's a lot more in person. It's a lot more about the small micro moments rather than, you know, these big, big ceremonies, which involve you purging and, you know, kind of, um, for, for a lot of people, I've seen many videos of, uh, ayahuasca trips where people end up hyperventilating or, you know, they have lots and lots of visions and hallucinations, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, we're talking about a system that's already within the body and may not need these huge, big drug epi uh, epiphanies, if that makes sense. So 
do you want to let's let's just think about this then so do you want to start let's go with the at the beginning what cbd is but what it also isn't and then people might be able to kind of get away from the scary psychedelic um impacts that they think that this this potential drug might have yeah i absolutely can answer that but before i dive into that rabbit hole quick just like question about um for the listeners and for uh you know your audience from a polyvagal perspective and just even just nervous system awareness in general would you say that your listeners are very like um adept to talking about uh polyvagal theory and just how your nervous system works mm. Hopefully some people will be because I think the, the spread of the people who listen to this are parents, teachers, e-safety people, people in cybersecurity. So it's, it's a whole span of people. So I, I don't actually know their depth of knowledge, but I have gone at the polyvagal theory, God knows how many times in the last three, in the last three seasons. Justin and I talked about it. One of my, uh, you know, I have talked about it a little bit. Um, and really we are talking about the nervous system regulation. So it might be... It might be that some people understand it and some people don't, but we can geek out and I can try and I can try and explain it in the way that I do for the, the young people that come into my practice. So we can go back and forth. We can kind of riff on this, really. Okay, great. Great. Okay, so awesome. So why don't I defer to you then? Why don't you just talk a little bit about um, if it's okay? Maybe I'll back into it. So where I'm going to go with my answer about what is CBD, it stands for cannabidiol. It's pretty straightforward. It's a phytocannabinoid that comes from um, the cannabis plant. Um, in order to understand how it works in the brain and the body, you also need to be aware that you have a system. We all do, whether or not you're taking cannabis, you have a system that lives within you. It actually lives with all living uh, animals except for insects. Uh, and endo endogenous, meaning you're born with it, endocannabinoid. Cannabinoid is the name for this system of ligands and receptors. You can think about ligands and receptors as locks and keys um, yeah. that your body is naturally, um, it, everybody has, uh, quite literally everybody. And this system is specifically responsible for maintaining balance and homeostasis. So that's when I'm going to take a pause before I continue to explain CBD and how it works in the brain and the body. But in order for you to understand that, the easiest way to back into it is actually being aware of your nervous system and the fact that your nervous system is looking for balance. It's looking for regulation and it's looking for regulation self independently, self-regulation, and it's looking to learn self-regulation through co-regulation. Wow. So these are some of the core principles, right, from a trauma-informed psychotherapy perspective that you need to kind of like have that general framework of to understand why I like clicked into the Teach Me Anything on uh, Justin's uh, uh, Instagram because I was like, this is an aha that I want everybody in this space to be talking about as frequently as possible, which is obviously why you and I are connecting, right? So before I continue on with the endocannabinoid system piece, maybe Cass, do you want to just briefly explain nervous system frameworks, safety, threat? polyvagal and that yes. kind of a thing yeah well the, the the when you were talking there i thought one of the things that often comes up particularly when people do talk about polyvagal is this idea of you put yourself into a dorsal vagal or a ventral vagal state and and actually your body does that so so basically you have um a nervous system which um so i'm going to describe it in an audio version that i do to some of the, the clients that come in it's a bit like a seesaw when one system speeds up, 
the opposite should also happen. So for example, when you need to move fast away from something, the system that um, Stephen Porges refers to as the mobilization to safety, this is the sympathetic system. What will happen is your slowdown system obviously gets turned off. So it's a bit like a seesaw, one will go up and one will go down. And your body is looking to have a nice movement up and down on both sides of the seesaw. Now, when somebody gets into a trauma um, event, what can happen is you can have a bit like um, a bit like a juddery seesaw. So I think we've all played on these when you were little and you know that the, the axles go in a little bit in the middle of the seesaw and it doesn't quite feel as smooth or it tends to get a little bit stuck. Um, or you can end up with different weights on either side of the seesaw. So as one is trying to speed up, the other one is actually pressing down to slow it down. So this is how your nervous system can work. It goes backwards and forwards and your body is trying to maintain the same weight on both sides and to have a beautiful, um, what might look like a sine wave if you were watching the seats going up and down, it would go, it would go in a nice harmonious um, rhythm rather than a, a staccato which is a bit like steps yeah so that's essentially what your nervous system is trying to do and you generally get taught this by the other person this is that bit that you were talking about with the co-regulation when you're a baby so your nervous system doesn't work very well when you're born it, it tends to be pretty much in this sympathetic state of i don't know what that is i don't know what that is either and the parent the a n other comes along and helps soothe and regulate through co-regulation so that your body can learn to do it for itself. And that's pretty much what underpins most of the behaviors of dysregulation in, in a lot of the clients. Hopefully that's helped you now with a metaphor that you can maybe talk about in terms of how the body tries to balance itself with these um, lock and key systems and the amount of, you know, really it's to do with receptors, isn't it, as well? So anyway, I shall just shut up now and there you go. No, that was perfect. Thank you so much. I mean, the baseline of understanding how your nervous system is working really hard for you is detecting safety and threat. And if your nervous system is detecting safety, you have access to your intelligence thought, your most evolved brain, you have access to your prefrontal cortex, you have agency over choice making. Um, and you have agency over rational thinking, rational thought. What happens when your body slips into sympathetic in that sympathetic nervous system state is your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down and now you're in your limbic system uh -huh. state. So let's just take trauma for a second, right? So if you are a um, someone who has experienced trauma, which on a spectrum we all have, right? So trauma exists on a spectrum, there's more, um, severe trauma and there's less severe trauma. So a less severe trauma example that I use, it's really popular is like a baby crying on the plane. No one likes it, but that baby is having a traumatic break right now. Like they do not feel safe. That is why they're crying out, mm -hmm. right? So that's a micro trauma, if you will, or little T trauma is what Mass and Kip calls it. Whereas a big T trauma is maybe some of the more, um, typical things you'll hear in mental health. So people who go off to war or assault um, or, you know, something violent, right? So like that is much more of a big T trauma and it exists on a spectrum. However, the trauma frameworks from a neural pathway standpoint, from a nervous system standpoint, still exists where it's a micro trauma or a big T trauma. Yep. So it's important to really just like level set with that because when you're experiencing a traumatic event, a traumatic response, your nervous system goes into a threat response. And that threat response sends messaging to the fear axis in your brain, which includes your HPA axis, your amygdala and your hippocampus. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause because I think, Kath, you probably can speak to the fear axis a little bit more intelligently than I can. So um, did you want to talk about the fear axis at all? And then I can kick in back into endocannabinoids. So, yeah, so often often it does get called the HPA axis, and it's to do with how, how the information reaches the brain. Um, so my, my favorite part of the brain is actually the cerebellum, because I think lots of people talk about the limbic system, and I, I like the cerebellum. Um, so anyway... This information is sent up upwards, and in terms of that, in terms of that threat response, eighty percent of the information your brain receives comes from the body, and then twenty percent of that information is sent back down the body. So this HPA axis is actually eighty percent up and then twenty percent down in micro, micro, microseconds, um, and basically. Anything that's considered a threat, so these are those uh-oh feelings. Um, so when I'm talking to the little ones, I might say you might get you might get a rumble in your tummy, but your tummy doesn't know that that's hunger. It thinks it's something to be frightened of, a bit like babies, you know. And that message goes up to the brain, and the brain goes, uh-oh, I don't know what that is. I need to put out the stress response. And essentially, the two parts of the brain that you just named there, the, the hippocampus and the amygdala, work together. And they kind of go, is this a familiar feeling or not? If it is, do I need to kind of go on a scale of one to crisis? Do I need to go on a one, scale of one to 10? Or do I need to just kind of go, oh, no, I know what this is. It's hunger. And now what I'll do is I'll put a behavior in place to go seek to, to reduce the stress, which might be that hunger feeling. So fear, fear and stress are very, very similar in terms of how the brain works because it's not very good at knowing where the information's coming from. It just receives information and then obviously make sense of it. So that, that axis also connects the adrenal glands, which is where cortisol is made. Cortisol is, um, lots of us know it as the stress hormone. And also there's, a, there's quite a big chain of events, and I can never remember which order it actually goes in, but basically um, you have the same kind of uh, chemicals in your brain. They just get given different names. So it's norepinephrine, um, acetylcholine, and cortisol, but they do different things in different parts of the body and the brain. And essentially it's alertness, seek safety, reduce fear, get out of the situation if possible. And it will kind of choose lots of different ways to do that. And essentially this system can be sparked off by those micro traumas that you've talked about. And it can be sparked off by the huge traumas in terms of, um, so that, that idea of the baby crying on the plane, and I am just going to go with this because I'm a therapist, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually what's happening for that baby internally is I don't know where I am. I don't know why I'm feeling these feelings because obviously being on a plane is very interesting for, you know, if you've got a bit of um, turbulence going on. And that baby will pick up on other people's fear within the, the aeroplane as well, so it, within the carriage. And lots of this is going totally woo-woo a minute now, Michelle, and I'm well aware of that, right? That actually these babies pick up on those signals and energy from other people. And that can also be interpreted as a stress response, which is why babies are pretty much more vocal in terms of their HPA access, because they don't have those thinking frameworks to try and slow it down or to kind of work out exactly what's going on. Like you were talking earlier, the way that, um, you, yeah, because your prefrontal cortex goes offline, the ability to talk generally goes offline if you're in a big trauma fear response. So you have this cascade of neurochemicals and chemicals floating around the body to try and give you the energy that you need to to seek safety, whether that's through fight, flight, which is what people tend to refer to it as, or 
whether you're going to go in uh, the other version, which is the, the complete withdrawal shutdown. And that's, that's what lots of people talk about in terms of the other side of that seesaw, the parasympathetic system or the, you know, the, the dorsal vagal, as it often gets called. And I've just realized I've just waffled on a tangent there. So I don't know if that was helpful. No, but you actually, you helped me. Um, I'll bring it back to what is CBD and how does it work in the brain and body. But you actually helped me almost find a segue to the Venn diagram that I had shared with you. Because you just said, I'm going to go woo-woo for a second. But if we pull in, you know, we put on our uh, Deb Dana hat for a second, she wouldn't call that woo-woo. She would label that neuroception. Right, she, that which they've actually measured. That's not woo. That's very science based. Um, it's very research based. And so, maybe now is a good time to mention that part of what I find so exciting about this work and my work in this space is that I've noticed that there's this really cool opportunity to intersect the woo woo holistic, mm. what feels like woo woo energy vibration spiritual sort of like field of study, right, with the trauma-informed field of study, which this is why I guess I don't have too much guilt around not being a therapist is because my understanding from everybody that I know who yeah. has a PhD um, or, you know, is LMFT, so they have their master's degree and they have all these clinical hours. What I've learned from the licensed folks is that trauma-informed research from the, you know, from polyvagal, from somatic experiencing, um, all of these things, trauma-informed research actually is not taught in schools. Um, it's not taught in the DSM-5. So if it's not in the DSM-5, and basically doctors are learning it in this like alternative, I'm making air quotes, kind of innovative research arena. Meanwhile, you've got um, medical doctors, right? We're practicing medical doctors who had one mention, maybe in one paragraph, about the endocannabinoid system. So they're taking cannabis grand rounds like I am, right? Um, so yeah. it's like, I noticed that I'm putting myself in all of these sort of doctor learning frameworks uh, that quite literally are at the cutting edge of natural wellness innovation, raised consciousness. Like these things that I sort of articulated are core pillars for wonderful my company right and how we think about cannabis medicine and things like things of that nature actually require physician and um psychotherapist oversight uh but the way i think about it is that we are all you know intelligent humans that can navigate this area these areas of innovation together and so the venn diagram that i created is where i see an opportunity for all of these worlds holistic wellness trauma-informed or psychotherapy. So I put in my little Venn diagram, holistic wellness, DSM-5, and Western medicine, where I think all of these um, arenas can converge is around the endocannabinoid system or the endocannabinoid own, right? Because uh -huh. we were talking about the endocannabinoid system. It actually turns out when they studied this, going back to science, um, research, science-based, research-based um, frameworks. When they studied your endocannabinoid system, they found that your endocannabinoid system actually operates on the mitochondrial level of every cell. Yep. And so if that's the case, then functional wellness, functional medicine people are also talking about the endocannabinoid ohm. And this is a really great meeting place for all of these different innovative frameworks. And that was why I clicked into Justin's um, live because I was like, you have a platform, you have the relationships, 
And same thing to you, Kath, like you have a platform, you have the relationships, you're also doing the work. So how many people I want to, I can actually share this message with, I think it could be really innovative. And so going back to, um, you know, the point that you, or the initial, which probably was supposed to be like a really light question. And I've, I've expanded into like a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> um, but CBD is, uh, is cannabidiol. So let's go back to what Kath was just talking about, about cortisol and the stress hormone, right? So um, what happens in your endocannabinoid system, remember it's endogenous, you have it, I have it, you don't need cannabis for it. So your body senses threat, your nervous system senses threat, it releases this stress hormone, this cortisol, right? So then your endocannabinoid system responsible for maintaining homeostasis and balance in your body says, oh, okay, cortisol increase. Got it. There's an upregulation of cortisol. Okay. I see that present and I need to bring it back into balance. I need to bring my body back into safety. So mm -hmm. your endocannabinoid system is very intelligent. It's almost like AI. It's not artificial though. So I don't know why I'm saying AI, but you can, it's a common like modern term, right? So you can think about it like AI, like think about it like how Amazon can predict the purchases that you're making or, or you, you looked at one product once and all of a sudden they're advertising you to, advertising to you on Instagram, right? So when I'm talking about AI, that's what I basically mean. So your endocannabinoid system is intelligent in that way, but let's just take this first instance. So stress release, cortisol release, upregulation. Your endocannabinoid system goes, oh, I know what to do here. Uh, cortisol, I can actually soothe and bring down levels of cortisol by producing a endocannabinoid called anandamide. Ananda comes from Sanskrit. It means bliss. Um, it's my favorite one to talk about because it's cute. And, and the name is cute. <laughs> it's just a molecule like anything else. But um, it's uh, anandamide is considered your bliss molecule. Uh, it's a common misnomer that you think that your runner's high is actually coming from endorphins, but endorphins molecularly can't pass through the blood-brain barrier. So the runner's high um, is actually accredited to anandamide um, production. So anyway, take that runner's high chemical, aka anandamide, your bliss molecule, and your body says, oh, cortisol coming. I now know um, that I need to upregulate my anandamide production to bring me back to homeostasis. And that is a functioning endocannabinoid system response. <laughs> now, the reason why endocannabinoid system is so even more exciting to me is let's say the cortisol response was getting on the plane, right? So yeah. You are young, you get on the plane for the first time, cortisol spikes, your body goes, oh, I'm going to produce anandamide, we, we're going to bring you back to homeostasis. We're good, nervous system regulation, everything is online. Now, what makes the endocannabinoid system so smart is the next time you get on a plane, your cortisol is going to spike, but your endocannabinoid system remembers this spike. It remembers that afferent information, that 80% body to brain, it remembers this, this spike. And it says, oh, not only is this like a, this isn't the cortisol spike from stepping out on stage or being interviewed on a podcast. This is the cortisol response for the getting on an airplane. So I know exactly the amount of anandamide to produce to bring you back to homeostasis. That's like the cool thing about your endocannabinoid system is it's adaptable. It's, a, it's adaptogenetic, right? So really cool system. Um, and if everything is working and it's sort of quote unquote normal regulated frameworks, that's how your body is going to work. Your endocannabinoid system is going to constantly work for you. But let's say you have a trauma history and in that trauma history, which we all have. So everybody has some version of a trauma history. It exists uh -huh. on the spectrum. Yep. So in our trauma history, we experience stepping onto a plane as overwhelming. 
right? And so your endocannabinoid system is going to try to work for you. It's going to work really, really hard to try to produce the right amount of um, anandamide to help you calm down. But if you're in your sympathetic state and you're so activated that your fear axis is off the charts, your body is actually not going to produce the anandamide at the levels that it should be producing it at because it's going to want to get you to safety and out of threat. So it needs to be activated. It needs that cortisol for it to actually get you out of threat. Yeah, because if it produces anandamide and it calms you down, it's not it's not saving your life, right? Because it's a survival mechanism, this fear axis of yours. So now you're in a fear state and you're, let's say, um, having a um, panic attack. Your body isn't going to feel safe to produce the quote unquote normal amounts of anandamide to bring you back to homeostasis. So that is when you can bring in exogenous or external cannabinoids. And that could be a plant-based cannabinoid. And that is what we know as cannabis. So cannabis has anywhere from, um, they've now identified hundreds of different phytocannabinoids. These are plant-based phytocannabinoids. And the two most popular ones to talk about are CBD and THC. And they have different molecular shapes and sizes. And they do different things in your brain and in your body. Specifically in your fear access, um, you're going to have a high density of CB1 receptors. That's part of your endocannabinoid system. You already have them. You have a high density of CB1 receptors. So what binds to CB1 receptors is anandamide. But if your body is in a fear state and it's not producing anandamide, you can bring in these external phytocannabinoids to bind to that CB1 receptor. One way is to bring in THC. THC is the same molecular shape and size as anandamide. So it's a really easy binding. So your CB1 receptor is is there. It's being activated. You're in a a fear state. You're getting on a plane. And you're bringing in this exogenous cannabinoid called THC to bind to your CB1 receptor to act like and produce a euphoria response, which everyone now knows is like getting high, right? And you produce this euphoric response. that is going to mimic the molecular shape and size of anandamide. It doesn't give you the same runner's high, it's a different plant-based high, but the idea is it's there to calm you down. Now, it's one of hundreds of different phytocannabinoids. The question you asked is what does CBD do? So what CBD does is it actually, instead of binding to your CB1 receptor like THC, because it's not the same molecular shape and size as anandamide, what it does is CBD actually blocks Well, it does bind to your CB1 receptor, but let's put that on a shelf for a second. What CBD does to your body is it blocks the FAAH, fatty acid amide hydrolase enzyme. That enzyme actually metabolizes or eats up your anandamide. So even if you have too much anandamide, right? Like if you have a runner's high and it eventually goes away, that's your FAAH enzyme kicking in and metabolizing um, your anandamide. So... Uh, What CBD does is it blocks your FAAH production, which triggers an upregulation of your natural anandamide to help you manage that cortisol release, which is why it doesn't create that euphorogenic response that THC does. But in the net-net, you're essentially upregulating anandamide or you're replacing anandamide in, in, in a deficiency state. So if you're anandamide deficient, you bring in more THC. If you're not necessarily anandamide deficient, but your body is in a trauma response and it can't tell the difference, your body is 80% afferent, right? What your cathodic thing, your body is sensing a threat that your brain understands you're not you know, in right now. What CBD 
can help you with is kind of get some more regulation back into your nervous system to naturally help you upregulate your anandamide production, um, which is why it's seen to help you create more of a calming, um, relaxing, and soothing experience because really all it's doing is it's upregulating your natural anandamide production. Yes. And, oh my God, I've just remembered actually how we got talking was, I think you were talking to uh, Justin. So this happened when you were talking and I was like, oh my God, actually, we started talking about anandamide first, not uh, not CBD. Um, because I have a particular interest in anandamide in terms of flow. So getting into flow involves a particular cycle. And essentially, um, the cycle involves... Um, you, you have a timing where you struggle, where, you know, you're looking for what they call the sweet spot between challenge and skill. So this is just outside of my comfort zone. I feel slightly agitated. Therefore, we're talking about that kind of stress response, but it isn't, um, it isn't a major stress response. It's like that you stress. It's just enough um, to kind of put you into that place where you think, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this. For example, I don't know, speaking on stage like you were talking earlier, but that might be a stress for some people. Maybe not a good idea to give that as an example. And I was just thinking, actually, this is why I see people with the same feelings in flow. So when you're in flow, that's one of the only times that you will produce anandamide as well in terms of the, the bliss chemicals, because you get all of the, all of the neurotransmitters, if you like, all at once. And in the struggle phase, you're actually producing small amounts of acetylcholine and, and so on and so forth. Those stress hormones, because you're finding something in, in air quotes, difficult. So obviously it's your endocannabinoid system that kicks off this whole neurobiological flow to, to help you get into flow. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is making so much sense now in terms of what I see for people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum of flow for trauma and in trauma, I'm seeing fairly similar sentences being said about what it feels like to be in that state. And obviously, it's anandamide that's responsible for both of those states. They just happen to be on opposite end of the spectrum. Um, so as you were talking, I've just had this moment where the, the penny dropped in terms of, hang on a minute, this is what I'm seeing. And, and I was talking with the, um, somebody from the Flow Research Collective. We were actually saying about trauma and flow and for me, they look exactly the same when a client describes them subjectively. So that they'll say, you know, and there is, for a lot of the children, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of familiarity in chaos. So if they're, if they're in a house with a lot of these big T's and, and they're repetitive big T's, actually the body learns very quickly that what I'll do is I'll make sure that you survive this experience right now, you know, that very small time of um, maybe somebody slamming a door. But then afterwards, when you start to self-soothe in whatever way that is, that's when the anandamide actually is then noticed within the body because obviously the cortisol levels are changing. And um, yeah, and I think that's why some people don't always move out of these situations where there are. So I think I'd seen a, um, a Mastin Kip thing on Instagram. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. And he was talking to a client and said, yes, but your behavior is, is the representation of your trauma. And it was a woman saying, yeah, but I need to be, I need to still be in contact with my ex-husband. And he said, yeah, but you've got these excuses, but actually your behavior is, is you want to be close to him, you know, the proximity. And, and the lady had said, but I, I have to be, I don't like him, but I have to be in that close proximity. And it turns out that's probably 
because of this system. There is a self-soothing endocannabinoid system that says we get the stress, but then we get the good feelings afterwards when we downregulate and you know we, we kind of do what we're supposed to, which is bring you back into homeostasis. And I think that's what you were talking about when you called it the, the runner's high. And it's the same, and, and you're right, it's the same word for getting stoned, isn't it? It's the feeling of that bliss moment, that euphoria of calm, cool, and as my, as my friend calls it, the groovy zone. So this is on my, on my little polyvagal map. This is, the, this is the green lane in the middle. That's the groovy zone. That's when you feel good because everything's present as it should be in homeostasis. But actually, the trajectory you took to get there probably took you all over in, in a whole sense of neurochemicals, upregulation, feelings of dysregulation, you know, chaos into the point of, <sighs> which, is, which is what I think. I mean, that's, that's what people say they smoke cannabis for, isn't it? That's, that's what they say they smoke a joint for, is to get into that calm, non-anxious state. So I'm, I'm quite curious about, you know, what, what goes on then in terms of people who are potentially mixing CBD with other drugs? So this is, this is something that I thought we might kind of veer off into. So what about the, the interaction with other drugs and other, other systems so I don't know if you want to say more about that or if I've kind of veered away too much from the CBD THC narrative. No, I would love to say the, do the best that I can to, to answer that because I think that you're now getting into a really smart territory, but then one that I, I firmly believe requires some type of either physician oversight or therapist oversight. Because if we're going to start talking about like using the plant or using different products medicinally, I do think that doing it with support is super necessary, but I can speak to it a little bit. But the easiest way to answer um, that question um, in terms of drug interactions is just understanding that even though you and I have the same, so this is like an unpacking of Western medicine as a whole, right? So even though you and I have an endocannabinoid system, our ECSs are totally different. And you study and you, um, you know, talk a lot about epigenetics, right? So the same reason you and I have a different skin, hair color, eye color, eye shape, all of those different distinctions that make us distinctly different at a DNA level applies also to your EC, your endocannabinoid system. Yeah. ECS is short for endocannabinoid system. So, uh, you know, for drug interactions, there's two things I want to say. Your ECS and cannabinoids in general are um, promiscuous, meaning they can bind to other receptors. So if you are, for example, taking an SSRI for anxiety or depression or something of that sort, it turns out, let's say you introduce CBD. So when they've tested it, what happens is that cannabidiol, that phytocannabinoid, because it's promiscuous, it will actually bind to your serotonin receptor and actually have you taking less of your SSRI, which is why I started with the physician oversight thing, right? So let's say you're getting um, SSRIs from your therapist or prescribed by your therapist. Let them know that you're introducing CBD into your regimen so that you guys can be tracking together how your body is responding. And what they've seen is that over time, um, the, the common thing is go low and slow. So mm -hmm. increase your dosage um, on a week by week basis, journal it, track it, right? And so when you buy our products, this is not like a plug for us, but like it is actually a call to action for other brands to be thinking about. For us, um, we're actually, 
architecting a trauma-informed cannabis coaching service just to get you started, right? Just to say, okay, not only are you buying our products, but we're going to try to help you learn how to um, track and journal your progress throughout your healing journey so you can take more agency over how you're using our products. And then, of course, all of the ethical disclaimers from, from a, we are not medical doctors, that yep. that, all yep. that kind of thing. Um, but the idea is to teach folks how to tap into their endogenous, their own systems and navigate their drug interactions from there. That's just a general comment around the promiscuity of cannabinoids and phytocannabinoids in your body. The other thing I wanna mention is, um, think about it in the context of a bigger uh, landscape of disease state health systems. So if you have cancer, right? You're getting chemotherapy and you're using cannabis. So you'll already have physician oversight. But what we're seeing a lot too, when you think about some of the more active cannabis markets, which comes to surprises to, to a lot of folks, is actually the more active cannabis markets um, are seniors. So um, even though cannabis seems like a young thing, right? Cause like it's marijuana and like it gets associated with that like party lifestyle from a therapeutic standpoint where you're actually seeing the majority of money being spent um, from a population is actually in your senior community, your 60 plus. Yep. Um, and it's not because they're trying to get high. It's because they're trying to get healthy. Right. And so, um, and not that, first of all, I think I also want to destigmatize this idea of getting high as being bad just in general. But, you know, if we're speaking about drug interaction solely, think about your um, senior patients who are taking maybe, you know, five to 10 pharmaceuticals just to manage the ailments that they're going that are going on in their body. Yeah, and yeah. so that's what I mean about um, drug interactions. The, the blanket answer I can give is, uh, you know, start thinking about personalized medicine, meaning just figuring out what's right for your brain and your body. Start thinking about, do I have support, right? Am I working with the therapist? Am I working with the doctor to get the healing outcome that I'm looking for? And then of course, that's when you want to introduce the, especially when it comes to cannabis, um, making sure that the products that you're buying have been third-party lab tested, right? That's the biggest piece that I say in a lot of my interviews is like, there's so little regulation, but so much regulation all at the same time. Like cannabis is so highly regulated from a marketing standpoint and from a legal standpoint, like schedule one, at least in the US and like it's highly regulated, but then, you know, on a, and, and somehow yet, uh, you can also buy CBD at the gas station. So like, like just figuring out how to um, select your product, select your dosage and be more aware of drug interactions, going low and slow. It seems like a blanket answer, but it's the best answer I can give right now. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the reason, uh, the reason I was asking that is number one, because we've kind of talked about that. This is, this is one of the things that I'm really interested in terms of the, the trauma informed stuff. But right now, my and and yes, I'm going to double double click on your uh, the the senior people. I'm actually finding there's a lot of people who not only in my practice but I'm talking with are taking it for pain relief. So this is this is one of those um, in in air quotes miracle cures, isn't it? Um, but it's because it exists in every single cell in your body, and you know, and, and I'll probably come back to the functional medicine one in just a second. But I'm finding that lots of people take it for arthritis, for sleep for um you know ailments uh, of of some sort of pain fibromyalgia i'm seeing it in so many different um medical related illnesses and yet when i'm kind of looking at who's doing what and why they're doing it 
it's it's that idea of again the big farmer um but in in the uk here we wouldn't um as therapists we don't actually uh do prescriptions that comes from a psychiatrist or or a um sometimes clinical psychologist but generally it's a gp or psychiatrist but what we do do as therapists and i think this is why i was so interested to, to talk with michelle was the, the therapists that I speak with don't have an understanding at, at this level of the the kind of plant medicines in terms of what they're used for, what's actually happening within the body. There are very few therapists who understand mitochondrial function and why that's such an important area, which is why I'm doing the the kind of functional health approach at the moment, trying to, 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 to show that the landscape is changing for what we do as our, our profession because you if you have an understanding of what's going on down at that epigenetic level or down at that cellular level you can now work with your client to say okay so what are you taking at the moment right well i'm on i'm on i don't know i don't think they do prozac anymore it's something lots of citalopram and, and some of the others to go okay so do do you happen to take any supplements are you taking any herbs I know in America they tend to call them herbs and we have the her at the front, but it's a question that I ask all my clients, you know, is do, are, you, are you taking anything else? Because it's wonderful that these supplements exist and that you can walk into any health shop and pick it up. But are you getting hemp oil? Are you getting CBD? Are you getting the other variations? What, what kind of dosage is it at? Where's it come from? Who's tested it? I'm noticing that lots of people are putting these little certificates on saying, oh, it's been, it's great, you know, A grade, or it's got this. And it doesn't mean anything to the members of public, let alone the therapists who are then, you know. So I, I did work with, um, over the past few years, actually, I've had a, a, a number of clients come in where the parent has said, do you think it will help my child because they're autistic? So it does get used for almost every kind of issue that presents for a therapist. But I'm also seeing people taking it just for sleeping, you know, or because I've got a stressful job and it's just something at the end of the day, or I take it because it's, it's you know, it's adaptogenic because that's another thing in the, um, you know, the wellness sphere. But also we've got this biohacking sphere and the functional medicine sphere and, and, and I'm seeing the popularity of it rise but for me, there's not enough information about it, which is why I was so, so blinking kind of, you know, zeroed in on you and was like, oh, my God, you're the first person I've known that's actually talked about it in this particular way from a trauma informed perspective. So, so I, I love what you're saying. I just wanted to add um, one thing that you're bringing up. I I'll send you the link to this specifically, but there's this wonderful diagram about the endocannabinoid system. There's a ton out there. So please feel free to like, you know, Google, Google away. This is one of my favorite ones that they've posted on whynatural.com, W-A-I natural.com. Um, they have this really cool chart. So when I was first learning about your ECF, I, I like, not that this is the exact question that you asked, but something I wondered about is, how can something work for arthritis, autism, insomnia, stress, like what? <laughs> like, I just don't like anything that claims to be a magic pill, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know, like, it makes me kind of uncomfortable and I kind of question it, right? And so what's really cool about your ECS is, in, and this diagram specifically, is it'll show you where your CB1 receptors exist, where your CB2 receptors exist. And like I said, they all exist on the mitochondrial level of the cell. So technically they exist everywhere, but you have a higher density in some key areas. So your top um, 
receptors you're going to hear about if you end up Googling this and studying it more, CB1 and CB2. CB1 is typically known as, it's going to be a, a very present, especially when we're talking about trauma-informed mm. um, psychology, anything, because your CB1 receptors in your brain, your spinal cord, which are obviously like the main two pathways for um, your nervous system to be communicating with you, right? So yep. your brain, your spinal cord, your pituitary gland, your adrenal glands, your thyroid glands, right? So it's like thinking about how all of these fun systems function and why CBD can speak to it gets super exciting. Um, fat cells, muscle cells, liver cells, digestive tract, lungs, kidney, and your reproductive system. That's CB1 alone. CB2, brain, immune system, digestive tract, and nerves. Right. So when you're thinking uh -huh. about like, okay, well, why does this make so much sense? Like, or why, why does it seem like a magic pill? It's not because it's a magic pill. It's not because cannabis is a magic pill, which I guess, you know, depending on how you want to frame it up, I guess you technically could say it kind of is, but you know, it's really not a magic pill. It's actually your, your own system. That's the magic part. Right. And so that's where Dr. Rachel Knox talks a lot about, um, the regenerative, regenerative health revolution. So I would be remiss to not give her full credit for coming up with that. But the other thing that I wanna mention is if you have um, in your audience or you're listening to this and you're curious about this and you wanna go down this rabbit hole, I am part of, um, I'm in a course called uh, the Cannabis Grand Rounds and it's put on by a company called the Advent Academy. And it's uh, put together by uh, the Knox doctors and they are, you know, the world's right now, the world's leading endocannabinoid, or yeah, endocannabinoid, endocannabinologists. They've also <laughs> trademarked that term and it's hard to pronounce. It's a, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. But if you really are kind of looking to bridge the gap between a lot of this trauma-informed psychotherapy stuff, functional medicine stuff, integrative health, like all that, holistic wellness even, that is exactly what this program um, is designed to do. It's where I'm learning, um, all of this, it pulls in, it's a really great central hub for the latest in clinical trial research um, in this arena. Um, and the one piece that I don't see happening across any of these spheres, Bessel van der Kolk as well, and we just love to get them all in one room to architect a, yeah. a research study that brings together trauma-informed research and your endocannabinoid system. I know they're doing so much with psilocybin, obviously, um, and they're doing a lot of study in that arena. And I think that study is really great. And if they um, could start highlighting your ECS more uh, in these studies and articulating how is your ECS kind of part of this bigger trauma framework and this healing framework and things of that nature. That's why I want to do these interviews and get this message out there to all of those doctors and re clinical researchers, like put it on your action item list. Yeah. Well, th this is what we were talking about, wasn't it? Um, so not, not on what we're doing today for the, the podcast was the idea of, um, so yeah, those, those um, psychedelic pieces of research are being done at the moment. So we, we've got um, books from like Michael Pollan. Um, in, in the UK, we've got David Nutt. But what I am seeing is there tends to be research around specific issues. So we've got treatment uh, resistant depression and uh, the kind of psychedelics. We've got post-traumatic stress which is getting the MDMA, um, you know, and, and there's a lot more research happening in uh, the US than there is over here in terms of those particular drugs. But I do know that um, Imperial College, I think it is, or is it King's College? Well, anyway, so there's a big college university down in London that's doing quite a few of these psychedelic pieces of research. But actually, we could be looking at a system for, for people who don't have 
specific you know this one big issue it could be that somebody had um i don't know they witnessed something on the way to work it could be you know post covid i'm just wondering what the heck it, what, what we're all going to be dealing with in terms of um the collective trauma that we're all suffering and how how we will be able to utilize anything that's um endogenous uh, because i don't know whether we've got the quite right now i don't know whether we've quite got the collective or the, the cohort of people that can help us do it and endogenously to, to help us use our own healing that tends to take too long if that makes sense so we, we tend to do this thing we're looking for the quick fixes um but this this system is also something and i'm just thinking here about um some of the lotions that you do so i'm going to veer off um just for a second to say that actually you produce um lotions which we might be able to and i'm not saying this with it and i'm doing that caveat you did now I'm not saying this is a good idea just to go out and try this on children, but actually there is the potentiality for these kinds of lotions to be used. And I know that, that people are using the, the um, sublingual, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, the, the liquids. But there are ways and means that we could possibly use this with children who have high anxiety disorders, who have early onset um I don't know, arthritis, it could be used for such a plethora of different things, but we need to do the research with it. And what's happening at the moment is I think there's parents taking this into their own hands because it works for me. So um, it works for me. So it'll work for my child or it'll work for my dog or I'll give it to my cat. So I'm, I'm seeing that there's, there's lots of, um, lots of that being sold at the moment on a lot of websites as well, that you could buy it for your dogs and your cats now as well. Um, so, if that and, and obviously with what you said earlier if it's in every single cell of every body then of course it's going to work for animals as well because they've got the same system but it's the idea of we we're just going along with and i'm i'm really interested why i've just used that word just we're just going along with we are going along with this sudden miracle cure but without people understand what it is that they're doing and, and so on and so forth so do you want to just talk a little bit about the the nox doctors because they are they are coming up with a lot of this research and they're trying to get conversations going and this is what we're hopefully going to do more than once on this podcast is kind of talk about yeah, where the research is going i would love to um and I, I you touched on so many different things that i want to talk about especially as it relates to the knox doctors so um the Advent Academy, which is what they created for a learning platform to be a central hub for, I think I already mentioned this, but the central hub for um, a lot of it, a lot of the endocannabinoid research that's being hap that's happening right now. One of the, uh, I guess, like I said, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know the Grand Rounds format, but it's my understanding that the Grand Rounds format is very common in the uh, physician medical doctor space. And what they've done is on a monthly basis, they will address cannabis and insert disease state here, right? So the first one was cannabis and grand, uh, cannabis and viral illnesses. Then it was cannabis and autism, cannabis and cancer, uh, and so on and so forth. And you can check it out, adventacademy.com. But you mentioned autism and specifically you mentioned pediatrics and cannabis, right? So yep. let's say you have a child um, that is somewhere on the autism spectrum. Autism is one of the hardest um, things for doctors to really figure out um, how to support. And 
when it comes to autism and cannabis and specifically autism and CBD, um, you're asking a lot of a parent because you're saying, can you, you know, go down this path medicinally with a plant that has been demonized, especially in the U.S.? And so what are the side effects for my child's developing brain is like the most obvious question, right? Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is in the Cannabis Grand Rounds autism module, we did actually address that. And Dr. David Knox spoke specifically to that. He said, actually, um, parents who are using cannabis uh, therapeutically for their children who have autism have seen better results with less side effects than the current prescription pharmaceuticals that are available out there. Wow. And he's saying, I don't want you to like have everybody running to the store and buying any CBD off the shelf, but that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is generally um, what we found is that cannabis has a lower side effects profile and a better healing outcome for children that specifically struggle with autism. That, do you know, this is so interesting because, and I'm about to throw a spanner in the works here, because if you listen to anything with Dr. Daniel Amen, he will say marijuana. And obviously he's talking the, the pot, the THC, you know, um, uh, whatever, whatever name we're giving to it uh, today, today. I think it's weed. I think that's what the kids call it nowadays. But actually that's, that's what we're talking, isn't it? Is if you're smoking marijuana, it's unlikely that you're doing it on its own. It's generally in a, a joint and it's with, you know, with other chemicals such as um, broken up cigarettes and tobacco or whatever it is that you do. Um, but actually, this is this is a different system. This is, and this is what I really, really would like to make sure that I, I'm, I'm hammering home at this point is people listening. This is not smoking a joint, sat on the settee or, or giving a joint to your child. This is about a system that's natural um, and exists. And you can you can actually use it to support natural healing which is, you know, the bit that we're, we're both aiming for is this is about the body's own uh, system to heal itself. And that's, that's what we know is if you give a, a body enough space and time, it will heal itself anyway. And this is why relationships are so important because that's that kind of co-regulation which helps these systems learn. But if you can give it, uh, you know, that helping hand, that doesn't take 20 years of psychotherapy or, you know, trauma-informed schools and, and, and all of the systems that you would need to make that perfect outcome. This is a way that you can really, really help the body naturally and, and with, with a system that's already there. You, you're kind of giving it um, a supplement, aren't you? If you think about that word supplement, you're not, you're not giving a drug. I mean, I know you are, but just go with me for this one listeners that actually what you're doing is you're supplementing something that's already there rather than giving the body something that it doesn't have to change a system if that makes sense and it, you know what you actually helped me remember a couple of things the biggest difference when you're de dealing with full spectrum i think it's important that we mention full spectrum um so what happened i can't remember the timeline but at some point um one of the large pharmaceutical companies came out with marinol and dronabinol and these are synthetic uh isolates thc isolates um versus a full spectrum plant uh, full spectrum extract from, from cannabis. So one was made in a lab and had isolated, uh, you know, THC in this case, right? And the other one comes, it occurs naturally and is extracted from that naturally occurring plant. And so what they found when they've tested out, um, which by the way, Marinol is approved by the FDA, right? So it's a, you can actually like get it prescribed today. 
So what they found is that the side effect profile of synthetic THC is worse, which they give to kids with epilepsy, right? The synthetic um, version of THC actually has a worse side effects profile, what's called the biphasic effect, because there's a narrow therapeutic window. So the biphasic effect means that if you're over that therapeutic window, you have very bad side effects. You're under the therapeutic window, very bad side effects. Worse side effects than naturally occurring cannabis extract. And so to Dr. Eamon's point, not that I, I don't want to like pretend like I'm the most well-studied on Dr. Eamon, and actually I'm a huge fan of his. Like I just <laughs> love what he's doing to normalize brain health. Um, what his point is when I've heard him speak about it in interviews is that he doesn't feel confident in the amount of research that's out there or the quality of products that are, that are available for purchase. Yep. And that I don't disagree with at all. Right. Okay. So is there a ton of research, especially in the US? N there is a lot. So yes, there is a ton of research. Is there quote unquote enough for a doctor like Dr. Amen to move forward with um, cannabis therapeutics? Clearly not for him, but maybe if you are the uh, autism parent or the fibromyalgia patient and you've tried everything, right? Like how I started my story where I was like, mm -hmm. I went to all the doctors. And I was still throwing up yep. like, yep. Um, and with, and I had no idea why. So like, if you've already tried everything and you're kind of at your like, okay, with a, not that it, I guess I don't want to suggest that cannabis should be your last resort. It definitely is a really great first resort, but like, I'm just really trying to articulate like where I think there's an opportunity for all of these sort of expert opinions to coexist in a healthy yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what, Dr. Amen saying, I totally agree with, especially around knowing what products you're getting and working with physician oversight to make sure that you're managing your dosage appropriately. Yeah. And also, especially when you're dealing with pediatrics, this is the biggest takeaway I took from Dr. David Knox is definitely working with physician oversight from a legal standpoint, right? Because the worst thing you want is somebody at school to find out and now CPS, Child Protective Services is coming for you. So yeah. like, do definitely you want physician oversight. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, and then the last piece that's kind of like, you know, backing off of this very like heated piece of conversation around CPS is delivery methods. So when you're dealing with pediatrics and seniors too, um, you want to be thinking about delivery methods. So if you're dealing with a high dosage like ours, our products, our tinctures have 15, 1500 milligrams of CBD in it. Um, so when you're dealing with that high rate, so we only do, by the way, full spectrum. So going back to the side effects piece, it's full spectrum. You've also got a full terpene profile present, which has other um, mm -hmm. natural health benefits, right? So, um, and it's under the legal limit of THC, which is in, in the U.S. it's 0.2. And I think in the U.K. it's point or no, in the U.S. it's 0.3. In the U.K. I think it's 0.2, something like that. Um, but basically, uh, when you're dealing with children, getting them to hold a tincture under their tongue for yep. 60 to 90 seconds and it tastes like grass may not be totally the best delivery method right and you definitely don't want them to be doing you know high fructose high sugar uh, edibles right so it's kind of like when you get into certain patient uh situations you want to be you do want to be thoughtful about delivery method I, so yeah, I don't want to give them pesticides. all of that <laughs> yeah all of that. You want to take into account all of that, which is why for us and our line, we talk about the trauma-informed cannabis coaching program because it's a long conversation, right? Like I can't tell you yeah. every patient or client's need and it's always going to be different and their lifestyle is always going to be different. And then of course you have the financial strain, which I think, you know, would we could do a whole nother podcast about, right? Because if you figured out your appropriate dosage, 
And it, it turns out that it's like $600 a month. Like what, what is, you know, how are you going to solve for that? Like that's, that's another yeah. difficult piece. So I think you're dealing, you, you brought in like so many critical, critical things to be thinking about when you're actually talking about implementing a therapeutic kind of framework. But I think these are the right questions to be asking. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And but the, I mean, it's, it's through experience that I have had, you know, clients asking questions and, you know, should I give it to my child? And I've gone, well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a doctor that can give that advice. Um, but I know that these parents can walk into um, Holland and Barra and pick a, I don't know, a, a little jar of it up for, I don't know, a tenner or something, you know, so it's, it's not really expensive. I mean, it's clearly not good quality stuff if it's only costing that amount of money. But I do see that I've been to um, a few of these health, uh, health weekends, whatever. And you find the opposite end of the stands, the ones that are claiming that they have such good quality products and it's a phenomenal amount of money. And, and then you see the ones that are saying, well, it's hemp oil and, and it's not even the CBD in terms of what they're selling. But I, I've, I've also seen so many shops shut down with it. So, I mean, and I'm also seeing it in vaping shops. That, that you know that, uh, <laughs> that and I'm not even sure that's CBD if they're vaping it and I'm not so sure that it's any different to going and smoking a joint on on the side of the street if that's what they're doing with you know and it's it's just I think we're in a bit of a pickle at the moment in terms of it's it's the same as we have those illicit drugs and then we also have a, a um the non the non ones so yeah wow we really like opened this can of worms but I'm so glad that we we did it because I do think that your listeners get to hear so much about um, trauma-informed psychology and just the impact of trauma on the bodily systems and you know of course like epigenetics plays the role uh, plays a role in that of course um, what you can do from a functional medicine standpoint can like really nurture your ECS. And I think the more that we talk about the convergence of all of these frameworks, holistic mm -hmm. healing, functional medicine, um, you know, uh, DSM-5 standard therapy, uh, you know, practices and uh, Western medicine frameworks that mention the endocannabinoid system in medical school, but really don't expand on it. I think the more that we highlight these gaps and the more that we collaborate, um, especially I love that we're doing it across countries, right? I do think that this is like an international healing agenda, which I am so grateful that you've allowed me to contribute to. I, I'm, I, well, I just want to say thank you because I realized that I didn't even take account of the time that we've been doing this. So I won't actually know till I press stop how long we've been talking, <laughs> but I think it's been a long time. Um, yeah, I've, I've, oh, I've loved having this conversation with you, Michelle. And there is so much more to, there's so much more to go into. So, you know, maybe, maybe I think we should wrap it up for today and then do this again in terms of, let's see what the FDA are saying about some of the trials that they're doing at the moment, see what happens across at the, the universities here. Again, see what's happening in terms of the movement as we come out of lockdown in terms of the countries and, you know, where we're heading and yeah. Yeah, there's just so much to be explored in terms of this this system, and I've got other conversations to be having with other people about endocannabinoid systems, and 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 I just think it's, I think there's something here about we really need to dig down in terms of what we are as humans, so that we can we can get that holistic healing, and and I'm using that kind of framework to mean let's go intersection, 
that was what did you say what did you say um dr knox is calling it oh the, the regenerative the health generative. revolution yeah mm -hmm. that we need we need it we need it so much more and i think it's these conversations like this that will help that that happen so thank you thank you for your time that's that's i i am so honored to be part of the discussion so thank you for um having me on your show and i definitely think we should continue to knowledge share as we continue down this path and if you uh, if anybody wants to go down this uh learning nerd rabbit hole with me um you'll find me uh on the monthly grand rounds at uh um with the advent academy so feel free to sign up there and that's where um i really learn all of my endocannabinoid uh innovation stuff wow well, thank you. And I will put your uh, Insta handle in the, the, or whatever contact details you want in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kath. This has been so great. I, I honestly, like, we need to get this on the calendar for next time um, because I think hopefully uh, I'll have so much more information um, mm -hmm. as we continue, like you said, uh, through this kind of global uh, pandemic quarantine, learning, there's, there's going to be so much more. So I, I know we'll have more, more discussions like this one. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.